You've come to our confession about the fifth commandment, about honoring our father and mother and all those in authority over us. In that light, we'll first of all read two passages from Scripture, Romans 13 and Matthew chapter 5. So just the first section of Romans 13, 1 through 7. And there we read the Word of God as follows. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to, do, to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now let's turn backwards to what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Words of our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 5, 38 to the end of that chapter, 48. Matthew 5, 38. There our Savior says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your, en- love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And lastly, let's open up our books of praise, and we'll read our confession about the fifth commandment, Lord's Day 39 of the Heidelberg Catechism. This is question and answer 104. There we ask, what does God require in the fifth commandment? We answer, 
that I show all honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and to all those in authority over me, submit myself with due obedience to their good instruction and discipline, and also have patience with their weaknesses and shortcomings, since it is God's will to govern us by their hand. Let's sing after the sermon from hymn 63, 2 and 3. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who do you tend to pray for? Who's on your prayer list? Quite likely your, your family, people from your church family, your elders, your, your pastor. They need it more than you know. Several places in Scripture we are told to pray for the authorities in the places in which we live. The exiles, for instance, Jeremiah 29, are told to pray to the Lord for the welfare of Babylon. Even though Babylon is the great enemy who just killed a third of the population and carted off another third into exile. For in, its, in Babylon's welfare, you will find your welfare. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 2 urges us to pray for all people. And then he immediately adds for kings in all who are in high positions. So we should be those who pray for Justin Trudeau, for Doug Ford, or for your local MPP and MP. This should be a regular part of your prayer life. I know in our prayers we're, we sometimes have these little phrases, you know, the sick and the poor and the needy, things like that. We, and I include myself in this too, we should be regularly mentioning our prime minister and others, other leaders in our prayers. Yes, we know the great king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do not ultimately bow to any human authority. But our faith is not a holy anarchy. Christians are not rebels and insurrectionists. This is what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 2. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or to governors sent by him. And then he goes on to say to honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Be subject. We sort of bristle at those kinds of words. But just as wives are to be subject to their husbands, we all need to learn to be subject to every human institution of authority. Honor the emperor, says Peter. This was the emperor who thought he was God, who demanded worship. The emperor who would shortly burn down part of the capital city of Rome and blame Christians for it. But honor him. In so many ways, our faith has such a challenge to it. Paul says there in Romans 13, 
Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Now, let me point out that word in the ESVs, the, that word that's translated as resist, yeah, that's a bit of a weak translation. It's stronger than that. Anyone who rebels and rises up against the authority. I mean, after all, you might say that ARPA and its work resists the government. That's what the official opposition is supposed to do. Oppose. But that Greek word in the book of Romans is stronger than the word resist. But notice there in Romans 13 how much the Apostle Paul repeats himself. I mean, three times in the first two verses, Paul mentions God as he talks about the governing authorities. In the next five verses, he mentions God five more times. You only put up no smoking signs in places where people are tempted to smoke. And sometimes you have to put up more than one sign. Were Christians in Rome very much tempted to disregard and disobey the emperor or the Roman Senate? I think that's very likely. You know, think about things. 2,000 years ago, there was no Facebook or Twitter. Who in Jerusalem really knew the ins and outs of the life of the emperor or the Roman senators? But this is a letter to the Romans. The Roman Christians likely knew things that maybe other people didn't know. They were probably too familiar with their leaders. And familiarity breeds contempt. Just in general, Christians, we can very easily rationalize disrespect and disobedience we obey God, not man, right? We belong to the kingdom of God, not man. These things can even sound sort of pious and godly. No, says the Apostle Paul. When you deal with your corrupt, pagan, idolatrous Roman authorities, you are yet dealing with your God. So just like we we look at the birth of a new baby and we think so clearly the work of God. We are to look at the governing authorities and see God's hand, God's call, God's anointing, God's wrath in them. Notice how he says there a few times, the authorities are ministers of God. Do we speak like that? We talk about the pastor as the minister of God. But Paul says, no, the secular authorities are ministers of God. And we need to think of that when we hear, you know, we still use the word prime minister. And so we need to honor them and respect them. We need to pray for them. L let me be very blunt you would not post pornography on your Facebook page, 
But why do I see Christians post things that mock our government? I, I saw something the other day that implied our government would be better off dead. Our sensitivities need to grow. Sexual immorality is not so innocent. Disrespect of our government is also not so innocent. In fact, it is a disrespect of our God and His Word. I put the sermon then under this theme. The path of freedom be subject to human authority. And we'll look at two things, that they are God's servants, and we'll look at God's command. Now let's for a moment stress a bit more this close connection between God and those in authority. Because we do not usually make that close connection. Throughout the history of the church, there have been plenty of church groups as well that have made being anti-government part of their creed. At the time of the Reformation, there were many who thought Reformation really means revolution. Time to get rid of the German authorities. Time to establish a theocracy where God rules, not man. At least that was the simplistic thought. It looked very godly, but it was not really much different in practice from the end of the book of Judges where every man did what was right in their own eyes. It's sometimes thought the government is a necessary evil, or sometimes that the government is a tool of the devil. But all that is not the perspective of Scripture. Christians are never urged to be revolutionaries. Government is God's idea, God's gift. Yes, it's certainly broken in this fallen world, but still something of God. And this perspective is quite clear, of course, with parents. The first instance, the first place where we meet God-given authority. Children are a gift from God, and we as parents need to remember that. But parents, they too are a gift from God. And we as children, even when we get older, still need to remember that. And that's what we outline in our Heidelberg Catechism. We are to show all honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and to all those in authority, since it is God's will to govern us by their hand. So we're echoing here what we see in the book of Romans. God's will to govern us through them. Look at the book of Proverbs, for instance. We're also going through that in Fergus North. You'd see in the book of Proverbs, the, the father speaks, and, and the mother too. But it's very clear, they also speak on behalf of the Lord. They're in the place of the wisdom of God. They're not just giving their own personal opinions. David has such immense respect for King Saul because he is the Lord's anointed. Yes, Saul abuses his position. Saul is a miserable king. He chases David around mercilessly. David even knows that he, not Saul, will be the future king of Israel. 
But yet David refuses to harm Saul, even when in 1 Samuel 24, there's that very obvious opportunity. You know, when David's hiding out in a cave and Saul also goes into the cave to relieve himself. And the men of David say, look, Saul is, is in your hands. This is your opportunity, even from God. Get rid of Saul. Make yourself king as God revealed to you. And then David just sneakily cuts off a little corner of Saul's robe. But you can read in that chapter afterwards, David's heart struck him because he has such respect for the Lord's anointed. And when he calls out to Saul and Saul turns around, David bows with his face to the earth and pays homage to even this sort of madman who's chasing him around. The Apostle Paul tells slaves to work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So that in the place of their earthly master, they were to imagine the Lord Jesus Christ. What if we did the same? In the place of Justin Trudeau or Doug Ford or whoever, we imagined the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to give honor. This commandment then is not first and foremost about obedience, although it does include that in various ways. But first of all, honor. And isn't that exactly what we need to hear? This God is commanding us here in, in my heart about my attitude, an attitude of respect. In Hebrew, the Hebrew word for honor is related to the word for heavy. That's what David has toward King Saul, even evil King Saul. That Saul is not sort of light in his mind. King Saul is heavy. That is the attitude that we all need. No doubt at times this can be quite a challenge. People have asked me as a pastor, how do I honor an abusive parent? Certainly. It doesn't mean that you ignore what they've done. It doesn't mean that you do whatever they want to. But yet, even abusive parents do need to be honored as the Lord's anointed. There needs to be a great respect. They need to be heavy to you. So then you, you, you turn away from being flippant or, or rude or, or mocking. You know, all those things that you are tempted at times to do. Well, that has already begun our, our second point. That's what we're in, we're in now. So specifically, what does our God command that we do? In our catechism, we mentioned we are to show all honor, love, and faithfulness. Notice that little word, all, there too. Not just a little bit. All honor, love, and faithfulness. Submit to good instruction and discipline. And even have patience with their weaknesses and shortcomings. 
a beautiful blend in the catechism that recognizes both the God-given place of parents and others, and yet also that they are not God, far from it. In Scripture, we're then told to rise in the presence of the aged, Leviticus 19.32. Paul tells families they need to provide for older widows in 1 Timothy 5.4, also part of obedience to the fifth commandment. But let's look a bit in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew 5, that section that we read, the Lord Jesus Christ gives four examples. If someone slaps you, if someone sues you, if someone forces you to go within one mile, and if someone wants to beg or borrow from you. And those examples are quite deep. First of all, if someone slaps you. Now notice exactly what is happening. The Lord Jesus Christ says, if somebody slaps you on your right cheek. So that is a, the person would likely be right-handed. So that's a, a blow with the back of the hand. So this is not then, you know, if someone is drunk and somebody comes at you and, and gives you a roundhouse, well, make sure, you know, he hits you again. No. It's not about if someone is abusive, well, ignore it and let it happen again. A blow with the back of the hand. That's a blow to shame you, to, to put you down, even, you might say, to insult you. You and I, says the Lord Jesus Christ, are to turn the other cheek. We are not to be concerned with defending, well, not, not defending ourselves or defending other people, but defending our honor. We should renounce any thirst for justice and to advance our own name and reputation. We, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, have to renounce our own egos, writes one man. Because our allegiance is not to our own honor, to our own name, our own ego. Our allegiance is to our Savior. The second illustration also has a unique setting. In court, if someone sues you and wants your inner tunic, give to him your cloak as well. If they really want that shirt so bad, give up your nice jacket to them as well. The Christian's allegiance is not to stuff we might have, even to our own life, but it is to our Savior. Third, if someone forces you to go with him one mile, go with him two. It would be very obvious to the first listeners of the Sermon on the Mount what this situation was. A Roman soldier. Soldiers in World War II as well. Soldiers would make often all sorts of 
demands justly or unjustly upon civilians. Yeah, we're using your house, we're using your vehicle. Roman soldiers would often take civilians and just say, you're carrying my stuff. Just like Simon carrying the cross piece for the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you're, you're carrying this for me to Alora. You might be tempted to run and say, you're, you're a Roman, you're an enemy. You're, you're, you're a pagan. That's enslaving us as the people of God. But the Lord Jesus Christ says, go with him two miles. So you should not even just listen. You should say, oh, you want it brought to Alora? I'll, I'll bring it to Hamilton. Because it's not the Roman soldier that is determining your behavior to them. Nor is it your like or dislike of them. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who determines how we relate to others. The one who went far more than the extra mile for us. Fourth, give to the one who begs and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You think, well, I'm okay to have people borrow from me. But this is more. Notice the parallel is, is somebody who's begging. In Israel, every seven years, all debts had to be canceled. The year of escape from, from debts. And that would culminate, of course, in the year of Jubilee in the 50th year. Do you know, in the past then, sometimes people would ask for money in like the fifth or sixth year of that seven-year cycle. And naturally, there'd be great reluctance to give somebody money because it was quite possible you would never see it again. It could all be sort of washed away. Be washed away by the seventh, the Sabbath year. But the Lord Jesus Christ says, no, give. Give where there is need. Your overarching concern should not be for yourself. Your loyalty is not to your finances, but to your Savior. We have a God who has blessed us when we were undeserving and unworthy. So we too need to learn to be gracious, even to those that we think are undeserving or unworthy. That's the very basis of our own salvation. In all of these things, the Christian has to learn this. Something that should be so fundamental to our faith, but something that is so contrary to even our modern 21st century culture. That we are not those who insist on our own rights. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus Christ is forming his people who are a salt and light. And this is how they are a salt and light. They're not a salt and light by wearing distinctive clothing or something like that. No, they're a salt and light because they do not insist 
on their own rights. This is the paradoxical revolution that we are part of as followers of Christ Jesus. So let me be so humbly bold to the matter of the day, the elephant in the room wearing masks. Our government demands that we wear masks. You know, right now, in this church building. Yes, it is true. You do not have to wear a mask if, you, if it inhibits your breathing in any way. They do allow that. And there's some other exceptions as well. Can you take your mask off during a church service from time to time? I don't believe that you're going to be faulted for doing that. But we need to ask, our question, uh, ask ourselves the question. Are we trying to weasel out, not just of the demands of our civil authorities, but the demands of the Word of God? Is that our attitude? Do we have the attitude of obeying the government only when we think it is reasonable? Can you imagine if your children had that attitude towards you? That they only listened to you when they thought you were being reasonable? You would not tolerate that in your children for a second. Do we listen to our government only when we think it is making the right decisions? That is no kind of listening at all. That is no kind of respect at all. Our Lord Jesus Christ does not give us a sliver of basis to live like that. We are to turn the other cheek. We are to be willing to be further humiliated. We are to give up our cloak to the man who wants our tunic. We are to go two miles with the Roman soldier carrying his load. We are to listen to our government even above and beyond what it requires. This is not about being a doormat or being abused or something like that. This is about your rights. And you letting go of them. We have a Savior who did not insist on his own rights. Not even close to that. And so we renounce our rights as well. For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom. We ought to be even willing to be exploited. For the sake of the gospel. We do even what seems unreasonable because we have a Savior who did not do the reasonable thing either. How can we convince the world of a need for a cross when we are so adamant about not carrying any sort of cross ourselves? How can we convince the world of the importance of a suffering Savior 
when we shrink from any sort of suffering ourselves. After all, we are told by the Lord Jesus Christ, He raises the bar so high here in the Sermon on the Mount. Our righteousness is to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. We can hardly have the attitude of just sort of doing the bare minimum. We need to have the attitude of going above and beyond. That is the attitude of our Savior. Let us then, as His people, go above and beyond in all things. Also in honoring and listening to the authorities God has given us. Amen.